0: We're going to continue our study in the book of Ephesians this morning. If you look on page three, the passage that we're going to look at is there in your bulletin. And as we get into this, because we're, you know, kind of in the middle of the book now, I I just want to remind you a a really important basic uh, uh, truism when it comes to understanding the Bible, and that is that no scripture uh, comes out of the blue that every scripture arises precisely out of a context. And this text, like in one sense any other text, arises out of this grand narrative that the Bible tells. Uh, The Bible's not a dictionary, it's not an encyclopedia, it's not the kind of thing where you go to look up an article on um, faith or something. It's primarily, it comes to us primarily as narrative. Uh, And even these letters of Paul arise out of a narrative. In that sense, they're in conversation with some sort of setting or issue or group of people. And so when we break into this letter, we're hearing one side of a conversation and and trying to figure out what's happening with Paul, what's he thinking about? Well, as we come to this passage, and and as I want us to think this morning, especially about gifts uh, for growing in likeness, that the notion of gifts, the notion of capacity the notion of having the ability to perform. Now there's a word you'd think you'd never hear in church, at least you shouldn't, right? The ability to perform, the ability to do something, is of grace. And so any capacity that God expects of us or any capacity that we have comes from grace. And this is what was given to Adam and Eve, when God asked them to come be his cooperative friends. These graces were given to Israel for them to be his people. As our text says this morning, it's Jesus who gave us the gifts that are in the church today. And so what we have here in Paul in Ephesians is Paul trying to work this out. Paul trying to figure out, if you think of our gospel reading this morning, how is it that this works out in an actual situated church? in an actual group of human beings who are actually in a time and place, like not theoretical, not conceptual, not abstract, but in an actual congregation, how does this work itself out? How do we live into this thing that Jesus talked about in our gospel reading this morning? Go out and train everyone in this way of life. The reason I wanted us to read the Great Commission this morning is that when most of us think of the Great Commission, most of us think, go make converts. You know, go get people to say the sinner's prayer, or whatever tradition you come out of. But it's not what's on Jesus' mind. See, Jesus is aware of this big story in which God is making a group of people who are his cooperative friends, seeking to live constant lives of creative goodness through the power, the enabling, the gifting, the capacities of the Holy Spirit, and doing so for the sake of others, being salt and light. And so I wanted you to hear this, that Jesus says, go out and train everyone in this way of life. Instruct them in the practice of all that I've commanded you. And then he says, as you do this, I'll be with you right up to the end of the age. So this is what Paul's thinking. You know, Paul has it in his mind, you know, this is the same Paul who wrote that Christ emptied himself and lowered himself to the earth. And then as our text says this morning, even lowered himself to the earthly regions. And we don't have time to get into that. It's, you know, all kinds of people think different things about that. But the key thing is, is then he ascends and he fills the universe with his capacities, here in this passage paul doesn't use the word that we normally think of charismata from where we get charismatic obviously but he says through through the ascended christ's grace he gave gifts in this case doma which doesn't matter just a different greek word for gift but it's still a grace and so what paul's envisioning here is wow Jesus left us here to carry on what he was doing. This manner of life that he commended to us, which included if you get slapped on one side of the face, don't retaliate. If you see sick people, express the kingdom. Just Think of everything that Jesus said for them to do. And he said, and as you keep doing this, I'll be with you right up to the end of the age. And so Paul's likely here thinking, oh, so this is the way that God was gonna be with us. The ascended Christ has now filled the universe with his presence, and part of what that does is he's given the church gifts, and that this is the way then he carries on. And so this is what Paul picks up in verse 7, if you look at your passage, where he says to each one of us, grace has been given, grace as Christ apportioned it. And the way Paul says in this passage is there's four passages in the New Testament where Paul lists gifts. I don't think any of them are meant to be exhaustive. I think they're all meant to be representative. I think even if you add all four of them together, it doesn't exhaust the manner in which God has given grace to his church to serve him. But the key thing is that it's Christ who gave these gifts. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Not Pentecostals. This wasn't given at the turn of the century at Azusa Street, and this wasn't given to Lutherans and Episcopalians in the 70s, or Catholics in the charismatic revival. It's God who gave these gifts, not the vineyard. Are you feeling me here? This, this does not have anything to do with the way we think of as denominations, or charismatic, or non-charismatic. It, it it totally transcends this. This is the ascended Christ who is leaving to his church the things they need to carry on as his cooperative friends. And what this teaches us among other things is that everybody gets to play, not just the clergy. That this is given to the whole body. But this does not assume that we should have no clergy. Because clearly throughout the New Testament, you see these offices of bishop, priests, and deacons. I mean, it's just there. We, we can't quarrel with it. So we're not saying that we shouldn't have clergy, but neither are we saying that the ministry is the clergy's. What the New Testament says is it tells us that here's the nature, here's the character of clergy, and it's fundamentally to recognize, serve, and coordinate God's work in others. So... My fundamental role is to look and see what God is doing in you, in your gifts, and what He's anointed and, and given you capacity to do, and then I come alongside to serve that. There was a famous Episcopalian rector in Darien, Connecticut named Terry Fulham, and we would never want to do this today. This is so 70s. It's so 70s charismatic revival, but it makes a point. On the front of their bulletin in Darien, they had, you know, Rector, Terry Fulham, and then Associate Rector, whoever it was. And then it said ministers, colon, the whole church. Now, I'm not saying we put that on the front of our bulletin. It's a bit cheesy, but theologically really spot on. Now, you might think, let's talk for a minute about the Roman Catholics. Maybe other than the Eastern Orthodox, the most uptight church church we've ever had on the face of the earth when it comes to clergy and when it comes to differentiating clergy from laity maybe the most uptight any of us have ever experienced but listen to vatican II. vatican II says that every member of the body shares an equal dignity i don't get more dignity because i wear a collar i get a broader opportunity to serve Did you catch that? I don't get extra hipness. (laughs) I get a broader opportunity to serve. I have a place that says what I do is I find the dignity of others. I find what the ascended Christ is doing. Come on, doesn't this make sense? How could it be any other way? What do you think? I get to push or bully Jesus? And what he's doing Or somehow control or manipulate him? No. My job is discernment. My job is trying to find out. I was just sitting here this morning during Prelude just saying, Lord, would you make this little church whatever it is that it's supposed to be? That's what we're doing here. And we're doing it together. I just have a place in it. So then Paul says that these um, gifts were given, if you look, to train Christ's followers in skilled servant work. These gifts were given, working within Christ's body, the church, I love the way Eugene gets us in the message, until we're all moving rhythmically and easily with one another, efficient and graceful in response to God's Son. And then we have the goal, he says, then we'll no longer be infants, and we'll be able to speak the truth in love. Now that's a sentence you hear a lot in Christian circles, so let's think about it for a minute. It means something like this, to know the whole truth and to tell it in love, like Christ and everything. But this is very important. This is not just frank speech tempered by love. That's the way we, we tend to think about this. Like, be as frank as you possibly can, but just simmer a bit with love. No, it means something more like this. What's envisioned here is the whole person being integrated by Christ. So that if you are asked, what's the integrating factor of my life? What's the cohering factor of my life? The answer is Christ. And in him, you have, John said, grace and truth. And so the, the goal of, one of the goals of our formation in Christ is that we would be integrated into him such that the truth is just naturally who we are and love is naturally who we are. So, you know, as as, um, somebody who, in my academic world, thinks a lot about uh, uh, contemporary culture, it's tough to know where the accent should be these days. But I would just commend this to you. I would commend to you the practice of being alert and present to your conversations. Especially conversations that you have a hunch might be difficult. With a believer who thinks different than you, or an outsider, and make yourself present to asking the Spirit, Where's the accent belong here? In this conversation, does the accent belong on truth? Or in this conversation, has this guy already heard it a hundred times? Blah, blah, blah. And maybe the accent in this conversation is to be on love. Now, I want to do something that I rarely do. Don't know if I've ever done it in our short history together, but I just want to kind of pause here And say that, I want to make a pastoral comment. Because I find this text to just be amazingly timing, uh, great timing for where we are. Moving in a couple weeks, multiplying services, kind of taking our place in the community in a different way with all that Cindy's leading us in, with OC for the OC and the other stuff we're doing. And something, I I mean, I'm just going to say what I think. I feel like something really good is happening here. I was enormously encouraged getting the cards back that you all filled out at our meeting after church last week. Mostly encouraged by the spirit, the attitude, the I'll I'll do anything, like show me, help me. I'll, I'll help in like in any way I can. And that attitude is the kind of attitude that works really well with this passage, stepping up in that way. And again, reading the cards... It reminded me, as Paul's saying here in this text, that, that God in his grace has not ordained lifeless, monochrome, uninteresting uniformity. You're very different. I mean, I don't know if you ever noticed, but look around. You're actually very different. And that in this body and in the whole body of Christ, there's a wide variety and diversity of gifts. And what Paul's talking about here does not suppress personal uniqueness. It lifts it up you say, well, then where do we get unity? What's the point of unity? And the point of unity is ministry. It's common vision. It's not common gifts, common temperaments, common outlooks, that's not it. If I had my way, I, I would die a happy man. If there was so much giftedness happening in this body, this congregation, and what we become in the years ahead, so much giftedness happening that only God could get the blame. That no one could ever say, Todd was so smart. What a gifted leader. But that so much would be happening that we would all just look at each other and go, wow. That's amazing. Do you hear what God's doing through here? Did you hear the vision God gave him? And this thing that's happening, and we'd all just look around and be stunned. All right, so what now? And I want you to look at your Romans text. And uh, I want to read to you the way Eugene gets it in the message, because I, I, I think it captures our imagination better. Where the message has Paul saying, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you. So in view of God's mercy, you know, this is just another way of saying, in view of the ascended Christ and what he's doing, and how he's distributing his gifts, that sort of thing, however it is that God's assisting us, I want you to take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. And then the vision of Ephesians, and what Paul says in Romans, is that we do this as a body. We do each have an individual life. We really actually do, even if you're married, you have an individual life. Even if you're a part of a family, you have an individual life. That's obvious. But we take this up as a body, and we engage in these ministries for the body and for the world. Again, the message, going back to our Ephesians passage, the message, uh, or no, sorry, this is the Romans passage, as a chopped off finger or a cut off toe, we wouldn't amount to much, would we? Think about that. As a chopped off finger or a severed toe, we wouldn't amount to much, would we? So we do this as a body. And since we find ourselves fashioned into all these excellently formed and marvelously functioned parts of God's body, let us go ahead and be what we are made to be. Let us just go ahead and be what you were made to be, not what I was made to be. And I can't be what you were made to be. But let's just be what we were made to be And then I commend these words to you carefully, without enviously or pridefully comparing ourselves with each other, or trying to be something we aren't. And here's the best way I know how to do that, is to understand that while you are fully and completely an individual, you do not derive your most fundamental meaning from you as an individual and the gifts that you have. What these Pauline passages teach us is that we get our most fundamental meaning and function from Christ and his body. He is the head. We are the body. That's where we derive our most fundamental meaning. Doesn't set uniquenesses aside, as I've already said. Uniquenesses are stunning, amazing, but they're not primary. See, once that becomes primary for you, You'll be fighting for space, fighting for turf, fighting for budget. You'll just be fighting, fighting, fighting. And I've just seen it happen over and over again in 30-some years of ministry. But when one is able to hang on to their other unique utter uniqueness, but to see it as it getting its most fundamental meaning from the body and not as a cut-off toe or a severed finger, then something really good happens. We begin to be, as Paul envisions here, a community living in love and showing truth in love. A church exercising their gifts for the sake of others. And when this happens, as a natural course, things will grow. And this, I'm just telling you, as a part of this sort of pastoral comment, I was just aware this week after seeing your cards and just, you know, things ruminating in my mind all week that you just need to know that it's very likely that in a new space and with two services that we're going to grow. You just need to know that that's like the statistical probability, it's not axiomatic highly likely to happen but you need to know that we neither and as far as i have any control over this we neither neurotically seek growth as a way to validate our existence or a way of saying hey look at us but nor do we fear it we don't neurotically seek it to make ourselves feel good about ourselves but we don't fear it either Because if singing our hearts to God, if making ourselves peacefully present to Him, if hearing the scriptures read, if hearing them commented on from this place, if confessing our faith and confessing our sins and meeting Christ at His table is encouraging you and building you up, if your faith is coming alive, If your faith coming alive is helping other people's faith come alive and you're becoming an ambassador of God's kingdom, why would we keep that to ourselves? Why would we be in any way afraid of that? Come on, Christ himself is filling all of space and time with his capacity. That's the whole point. He's given us the ability to perform. He gave some to be apostles and prophets and teachers and evangelists and gifts of mercy and hospitality and faith and discernment and prophecy and healing and on and on and on. And he's not poor. He's not going, dang, I hope I can make it through the end of this century. You know, like the cupboard's getting a bit poor here. No, the capacity of grace, of charis, and charismata, I think I've told you this before, that compound word is just simply little portions of grace. And God's not tired. He's still moving upon his whole body all over the world, dropping little portions of grace and giving people little capacities to serve the body therein and to serve the world. And that's why we don't fear it, but that's why we also don't neurotically seek it. So in our text this morning... This ability, these various abilities are called grace. And we live there trusting grace. In my coaching of church planners, I say to this all the time, that we're not as in much control as you think we are. You can't hold your church small and you can't make it big. We're just not in that much control. I wish we were, but we're not. And of course not, we're bought with a price. And so rather than demand control in our image of what's right, we ask, Lord, And I want to commend these these questions to you. Lord, what gifts have you given me slash us? And how do you want us to use our gift to build each other up for our lives and work in the world? And then we humbly submit to the spirit of Jesus, the ascended Christ who is handing out gifts to serve with him in the church and the world. And we relax into this. We just place ourselves peacefully before what the ascended Christ is doing. And we ask, and I, again, I commend this to you as we pause. Lord, what gifts have you given me? And how do you want me to use this gift or these gifts to build each other up for our lives and our work in the world? Amen.